Go to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter number 9, 2 Samuel chapter number 9, and great singing today, love all the Christmas music. If you come Tuesday night this week, we're going to have candles in communion, and we'll take communion, we'll sing a bunch of Christmas carols together, it'll be a special time, and so that's this Tuesday night, we'll get to sing more of those uh, Christmas songs. I hope you have a great Christmas season with your families and get a chance to spend some time with each other. And uh, I hope that's a great time for you there. Second Samuel chapter number nine, we know in the Old Testament here. And by the way, I tell you, for some, for the, maybe you have never read through some of the Old Testament. I tell you, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll learn some very amazing things about God, about the Bible, and some amazing stories. And these are one of those stories, by the way, they're all true. And these are one of those stories that's just, it just pops out at you and it kind of is a memorable story. And so we're going to read 2 Samuel chapter number nine, look at verse six, excuse me, verse one with me. And we're going to read through verse six. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called unto him, uh, when they called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son who is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And the king and King David said, Well, fetch him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, notice this, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold, thy servant. Today, I want to preach a message to you, maybe a little bit different than what you would normally hear on a Christmas Sunday. But I want to preach a message to you because I believe that Christians ought to have some things that we're known for. And not being a hypocrite, amen? But have some things we ought to, as Christians, we ought to be known for. And David showed us in this chapter here, he shows us some things that we can do. And so I hope it's a blessing to you today as we learn some of these things that David did that we can also do. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be the kind of Christian, Lord, that's known for something. And Lord, as we study the characteristics here of David and how he treats Mephibosheth, help us, Lord, as Christians to have a good name, to be the kind of Christian that others see Christ in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was a sad, frightening day for the nation of Israel. For a long time, Saul has been rebelling against God. And because of his disobedience, God was about to bring judgment upon Saul and his family. Saul has been chasing David in a jealous rage, trying to snuff out God's anointed. If you know the story, David is anointed. If you remember, uh, the prophet came to anoint David and if you remember the story, he thought every brother was the one. Remember that story? Oh, get the oldest, and then down, and then down. And finally, he gets to David. And God anoints David to be king of Israel. And Saul, uh, not, not yet, but Saul at some point will get jealous of David. And so David, you know the story, David and Goliath. He defeats Goliath. He begins leading the armies. And so he has a lot of success. 
And we see in one part of scripture where David is coming into uh, the town there, the city there. And what do the people chant? They say, Saul hath killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul is filled with this jealous rage and begins to try to murder David. He tries to kill him. He throws a, a javelin at him and he chases him around trying to kill him. And so Saul, in rebellion against God, has been chasing David around. And we come to the final moments of his leadership here. And the inevitable happens without God's help. The Israelites are overthrown in battle. They've been fighting the Philistines for many years. And the Philistines were a barbaric nation. And so finally, on Mount Gilboa, the, the, the Israelites are overthrown and, and they begin to, the Philistines begin to uh, uh, make their way into the encampment and they kill Saul's sons, Jonathan and his other son. And so they begin to close in on Saul and Saul realizes, he recognizes this is the end. And so in a room, wherever he is hiding, he turns to his armor bearer and he says, would you please take my life? And in this particular day and age, kings did not just surrender. They were humiliated and then eventually executed. And so Paul asks his armor bearer to take his life and the armor bearer refuses to do so. And so he turns the sword upon himself and takes his own life. Back in Israel, where the... Uh, the word has spread that this has happened. And this is terrible news. And people begin to uh, go crazy. They begin to grab things and, and panic and run because here comes the... I know this doesn't sound like a Christmas message, but it gets better, I promise. And the people begin to panic and they get all the, whatever they can carry and they begin to flee because the Philistines are coming. This is all in first in, the end of 1 Samuel, beginning of 2 Samuel. And so in this particular instance of panic, there was a nurse who was caring for Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, a little boy about five years old. And the nurse picks up the boy. And I can imagine in the panic, Ben, as she's running from the people coming, the Philistines, and they're trying to hold on to things. And, and she knows, she knows that if the Philistines were to find an heir to the throne, this little boy would be dead. And so she has him, I can imagine, wrapped up and she's running. And at some point in the panic, at some point in the confusion, the young boy is dropped and both of his legs are shattered and he's lame for the rest of his life. We catch up in the story some years later. David and Saul, their families are at war. But David finally, because God anointed him, finally becomes the king of Israel and sits on the throne. And by the way, the Bible says that the throne of David has been established forever because someday Christ will sit on the throne of David. And so in this story now, David, he is taking care of business as king. And in this culture, the truth is, is that when one bloodline would be defeated, and the other bloodline would take power. In this particular, we can't imagine this really in our culture, but in this culture, it was normal for all the heirs to the throne to be executed. It was just a regular thing. And so, of course, Mephibosheth knows this. Ziba, his servant, knows this. His nurse who helped him knows this. And so all of them are in hiding. They're all hiding from, uh, from David but then David finds, at some point, he finds this servant. And when the king comes knocking on your door, 
and says, are you Ziba? You say, yes, sir, I am. And when the king and his army say to you, is there anybody who's in lineage of Saul? Then, of course, he's going to answer yes, and he does. And so we catch up many years later where David finds Mephibosheth and calls for him to come to his house. David is introduced to this young man. I'm sure he was brought to David. He was being carried by someone as he had no use of his legs. And he comes in, and this is where the the story gets really good. As you can imagine, as David is standing there as king and Mephibosheth is brought in, he must have been terrified. Think about Mephibosheth. He must have been thinking, this is it. This is my last moment. Have any of you ever had a a near-death experience? This happens to me every time I'm on a roller coaster. I'm like, this is it. Here we go. You know? And you start thinking, your life flashes before your eyes. And here comes Mephibosheth, and he's on his knees. He's, on a, he's sitting down in front of the king. And maybe in his mind, he's thinking, here comes the sword. But David doesn't pull out a sword. David doesn't kill him. He doesn't imprison him. He doesn't humiliate him. David does something that nobody's expecting. David took Mephibosheth home. He took him home to his own house. I see here three things that David did for Mephibosheth that we can do for others during this Christmas season. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, we can be kind to the undeserving. And all God's people said, we can be kind to the undeserving. When you consider the story of David and Saul and the fact that Saul tries to kill David on multiple occasions and cause David to run like a fugitive and, and all these things that Saul did after, after David was loyal and after he did all that he did for Saul, for him to betray David and his family to turn their back on him, David still showed kindness to Mephibosheth. It says in verse 1, and David said, is there yet any left in the house of who? Saul. Is there anybody left that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And someone might look at the story and think, why was David kind to Mephibosheth? Why did he decide to do that? And the answer is simple. Three words in verse 1. For Jonathan's sake. See, Jonathan and David were best friends. Matter of fact, they were closer than best friends. These guys were inseparable. They loved each other. They were, they, were, they were closer than brothers. They had each other's back. Jonathan was always kind to David and always helped out David. And David was always kind to Jonathan. And they had a very special relationship. And when Jonathan was killed in battle, David, I think, made a covenant in his own heart to take care of whoever was of, of Saul's house. Many people today have this philosophy, an eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. And sometimes we get that way, don't we? We get that way. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be nice to that lady. She took my parking staller. That guy cut me off on the freeway, so I'm going to yell at him, even though he can't hear me. Why should I call? Why should I call my brother? Why should I call my sister? They never talk to me. And on and on the list goes. We, we have this philosophy, this, 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 this worldly thinking that, that, hey, if somebody hurts us, then we need to hurt them in return. Or if somebody's grumpy to us, we need to be grumpy in return. And that is not the life for the Christian. Why should we be kind to someone who can do nothing for us? 
This is the essence of Christianity. The overall power of Jesus Christ in us shows the world that there's something greater going on in us than what's in the world. We can be kind to those who are undeserving because Jesus was kind to us. You see, Mephibosheth received kindness because of a friendship. And guess what? We have a friend. Come on, somebody help me now. We have a friend. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 15. John chapter number 15. It's in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All right, the four Gospels there. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amen. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Look at John chapter number 15. And look at verse 12. May I just say to you today, you may not realize it or not, but you have a friend in Christ. You have a friend in Christ. Look at what John 15, 12 says. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another. As what? I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you what, church? Christ has called us Friends, he says, I call you friends in all things that I have heard of my father. I've made known unto you. Christ says, I want you to love one another, not because the other is lovely, but I want you to love one another because I loved you first. You see, we can be kind to the undeserving because we were undeserving when he was kind to us. Christ says, love one another. Don't forget that Christ laid down his life for you. Even though we were yet sinners, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ isn't my friend because I'm a good guy. Christ isn't your friend because you're amazing. No, Christ is your friend even though you're a sinner. He's your friend. I would venture to guess that pretty much everybody in this room here probably or watching online today, you love this word. And we all appreciate this word, the word justice. How many like it when justice is served? If somebody offends, they should be punished for that offense. Justice is important. And all God's people said, amen, justice is very important. We all, we all want justice, but for many of us, the fact is, we don't want to talk about justice when it comes to our sins. We don't want to think about that aspect of it. The truth is this morning, we've all broken the laws of God. And there's a penalty that must be paid. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You understand that that's not really justice? You and I deserve, you and I deserve what would come to us, don't we? But Christ said, I'll die in their place. So even though we didn't get the justice we deserved, we're justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that today, because of his justice and his, him justifying us, he took our penalty upon himself. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But Christ shed his blood, and so there is remission of sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, you can be kind to someone today because even though they don't deserve it, because Christ was kind to you, even though you don't deserve it. This is the kind of Christian that we should be, not just at Christmas time, but 365 days a year. We ought to be the kind of person that people see Christ in us. How can we show the love of Christ to someone who doesn't deserve it? 
Someone in your life today, you might have a Mephibosheth in your life today. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you do. Someone you know who's broken, who's ashamed, who's hurting and needy. That's the perfect time for you to show kindness. I think about Mephibosheth as he comes before King David, a broken shell of a man, shame upon his grandfather, shame upon his family. In those days, there was no ADA. In those days, if you were paralyzed, you were as good as dead. And here's this man, he's standing before before David, and this was the perfect opportunity for David to show kindness. The mark of a Christian isn't how we treat people who treat us well in return. The mark of a Christian is how we treat the undeserving, because we are undeserving. So who's your Mephibosheth this season? It was a chilly spring evening about 21 years ago at a youth conference where a lonely 10th grade boy stood in line for some cold pizza. 400 miles from home, no friends, no one to talk to. This young man folded his arms, bounced up and down, tried to stay, tried to stay warm, discouraged, even though he was surrounded by thousands of people, didn't know a single person. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't in that line for long when, for no apparent reason, a young college student walked up and said something to the young man that changed his life. He said, what is your name? What's your name? It wouldn't seem like a big deal to someone else, but it was a big deal to that 10th grader. After a few minutes of conversation, this college sophomore moved on and talked to somebody else in the line, but he had changed that young man's life and perspective. It wasn't until that moment in time that I had never one time thought about going to Bible college. I was at a youth conference. Matter of fact, my mom and dad know this. I think I pretty much determined I wasn't going into the ministry. I wasn't going to Bible college. But when that young man, his name was Jose Miano, came up and talked to me and said, what's your name? It began to get me thinking, maybe I should go to Bible college. And it changed my life. Us being kind to someone could change someone's life. Well, they don't deserve my kindness. We didn't deserve the kindness of the Lord either. And so let's be kind to those, even if they're undeserving. Second thing I see that David did, even though he was kind when he didn't have to be kind to Mephibosheth, I see something else here. When David could have really held a grudge, (laughs) I said he could have really held the grudge. I don't know if anybody's ever tried to kill you. It's never happened to me. But he could have held the grudge against Saul and his family, but he didn't. The second thing I see here that we can do is we can forgive the unforgivable. We can forgive the unforgivable. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer this morning? How many know the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many know what I'm talking about now? The the Lord's Prayer. There's a part of the Lord's Prayer that people kind of skip over. And let's go to it here. And we kind of forget this part. But let's look down here. He talks about all, he says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And I just want to remind all you keto people in here that Christ wasn't about that keto diet, all right? So give us this day our daily, not our daily fried cheese, no, our daily bread, amen. In and out wasn't around when Jesus was there. He would say, give us this day our double, double. But anyway, verse number 12. Then he says this, forgive us our what? As we forgive our debtors. And then look at verse 14. For if we, if ye what? Forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Did you catch how serious forgiveness is to God? 
I said, can you see how serious forgiveness is to God? I know many people, and I've known many people over the years that struggle with being angry and bitter because of a past hurt, a past hurt. Many of us have heard of Fanny Crosby, and if you haven't heard of her, she's written many of our hymns that we sing today. Matter of fact, she wrote over 8,000 hymns. When she was a young girl, six weeks of age, she developed a minor eye inflammation and was taken to the local town physician for treatment. The doctor who treated her used the wrong medicine in her eyes and became totally and permanently blind because of her carelessness. She was interviewed years later about this, and here's what she said. She said, I harbor no bitterness. She said this, quote, if I could meet him now, I would say thank you over and over again for making me blind. She felt that her blindness was a gift from God to help her write many of those hymns that flowed from her pen. Someone once said this, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Oftentimes in our hearts, we harbor bitterness because of a pain. But the truth is, is you're hurting yourself and you're causing that extra pain, that further pain. And God says, forgive, forgive. But pastor, they're unforgivable. What they did is unforgivable. Yes, but guess what? We're forgiven. I mean, in the room say, I'm forgiven. I don't know about you, but I had a big pile of sins when I got saved. And so because of Christ, because of him and his forgiveness for us, how can we look somebody else in the eye and not forgive them? Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I preached this message, of course, at 830 and at the uh, Berean class there right after we had communion. Mrs. Ward, I love Mrs. Ward so much. I've known Mrs. Ward for going on 17 years and she's always been such an encouragement Mrs. Ward has had some difficult things in her life. She's lost children. She's lost a husband. She's lost a lot of things in her life. And she came up to me and she said, Pastor, of course, she kind of preaches at you when she's talking at you. Pastor, you know, that, that, that accent. She said, thank you for that message. And here's what she said. She says, how can I, how can I, with all that God has forgiven me, not forgive other people that have done me wrong? She says, how could I do that? Oh, the wisdom. I said, oh, the wisdom. I know young people there. I'm never going to forgive. Let me tell you something. You need to learn something from Mrs. Ward to forgive. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, wherein you are sealed under the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. May I just say this morning, the truth is, is when you realize the riches of grace that God has toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and forgave us of all of our sins. How can we hold on to that pain? How can we hold on to that hurt when Christ has forgiven so much of us? We realize what he's done for us. We are undeserving. We were unforgivable. We see lastly here, David not only showed kindness to Mephibosheth, not only did he show forgiveness to the house of Saul, but then David takes it even a step even further. And this is amazing. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to look at a couple verses here we didn't look at before. Look at the, the extent to which 
David goes here with Mephibosheth. And sometimes we've got to be really careful about this. If you're watching online or if you're here in the room, we need to be really careful about being be warmed and filled Christians. We got it all together. We have all, we're so busy. We, you know, we've done our job and we've, we've made our money and we're, we're good. And, and so people come across that have needs. And a lot of times we like to say, well, we, we hope everything works out all right for you. We need to be careful about being warm and filled Christians. In other words, oh, be warm and filled. And we just kind of push them away. Sometimes we got to step outside of ourselves and do the uncomfortable to help someone else. And all God's people said, sometimes you need to give someone a ride. Sometimes you need to bring someone some food. Sometimes you need to take someone shopping. Sometimes you need to sit down with somebody when you don't have time. Sometimes you need to pick up the phone when they call. How many know what I'm talking about? And go beyond ourselves. Look at 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Look at what David does. Look at verse 7. David says unto Mephibosheth, fear not. For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. And I will restore thee. Notice this. I will restore thee all the land of Saul, thy father. Do you see what's happening here? And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Look at verse 8. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? You see, Mephibosheth knew who he was. He didn't burst into that room and say, I got some things coming to me. No, no, no. He came to David and he recognized the shame that was on his family. He recognized he could do nothing for himself. And so he says to David, "My, I am your servant. And he recognized who he was. And David took him and he brought him into his own home. And let's read further. Look at what happens. And the king, he says to Ziba, essentially, we don't have to read it, but he says, you're going to farm Mephibosheth's land and you're going to provide bread for your family and for his family. And then look what he says in verse 12. That Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and they dwelt in the house of Ziba, were servants unto Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem where David was, for he did eat at the king's table, and he was lame at both of, both of his feet. You know what I see here? And lastly tonight, that Mephibosheth sat at the table with David, and he didn't sit there as a guest. He didn't sit there as some charity case. No, no, no. Mephibosheth sat at the table. David's table as one of his own sons. So I want to say today, lastly, that we can be Christ-like to the unworthy because we were unworthy. You see, imagine with me that this man who had nothing, who calls himself a dog, no self-esteem, has nothing to his name, no legacy. He had shame upon him from his own country, an outcast. David brings him into his house and sits him down at his table. Picture with me now as Mephibosheth sits at that table. And in my mind, I see this long wooden table next to a fireplace and chalices of, uh, of, of things to drink. And I can picture this great big uh, turkey that's really really done well and cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes and gravy that's what I see and I see this big table there and I see David sitting there as the king in his chair then I see all the sons sitting there in their chairs and all of their priestly all of their kingly garbs and then over at the end of the table is Mephibosheth he's sitting at the table and guess what the table covers his lame legs so at the table he's just like everyone else 
at the table. His, there's, there's nothing different between him and the other sons at the table. And at the table, he has respect just like the other sons at the table. And at the table of love of David, at that table, he was equal with all of the brothers and sisters that were there. And may I say this morning that because of Christ in your life and because of Christ in my life, we're covered under the banner of his love and we sit at the table of his grace and his love. And His table covers our sins. And His table covers our shame. And we are joint heirs with Christ. If that doesn't make you happy, I don't know what does. (laughs) But we can be Christ-like to the unworthy because He was unworthy. We were unworthy. I mean, understand that today. We are unworthy. I didn't deserve Christ, Brother Asprelli. Give me your tissue. There you go. I'm going to defy all this right now. We're spreading coronavirus right now. Amen. I was unworthy. I was unworthy. And so are you. If you're watching online today, you're not a Christian because you are good. The Bible says there is none good. There is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't care how good you think you are. I think I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I had great Christian parents. I went to church every week of my life. I went to church every week of my life. And I wasn't good enough because we are all sinners. But at the table, I said at the table, because of the blood of Christ, at that table, I am equal. I am joint heirs. The Bible says in Romans, I am joint heirs with Christ. I am a child of the King, and so are you. So are you. I said, I'm a child of the King. Say it this morning. I'm a child of the King. Okay, I'm a child of the king. One more time, say it. I'm a child of the You're a child of the king. I mean, at that table, you're a joint heirs with Christ. And I want to tell you something. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. How many love your kids? Mrs. Travis, you'd do anything for your kids. Brother Travis, you don't care about him, but Mrs. Travis does. Hey, man. How many love your kids this morning? I read a story last week. Actually, I just thought of this this morning, but this lady in Mexico... This dear lady in Mexico, I don't know if you've read the story, it's a true story. 20 years ago, her daughter was murdered. And for the last 20 years, she made disguises. And she went underground in the the criminal world there. And she put 10 guys away in prison. And that's the only ones you know about. I told my wife, I said, I bet she killed some of those guys. I don't know. She loved her daughter so much, she wanted justice for her. May I say this morning, God loves you just as much as you love your kids, times 10,000. God loves you today. God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. May I just say that God demonstrates his love towards us so that we can demonstrate that same love to others. I don't deserve a spot at the table. Are you hearing me? So why do I treat others like they don't deserve a spot at the table? That's the essence of Christianity right there. And Christ invites everyone. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. We sing the the Christmas songs and and we sing those songs because it is goodwill towards all men, not just me, but all. So with that love and that grace and that kindness towards us, are we demonstrating that same kind of love to others? So as I close today, the message, perhaps you're here. Do you have a Mephibosheth in your life? Someone who desperately needs your kindness This morning, I walked past one of the rooms of our modulars while we were out uh, fellowshipping and having, excuse me, having uh, McGriddles and talking one to another. One of the rooms, there was a lady 
uh, uh, on the floor crying, just literally crying. And Brother Gaona and his wife are in there helping her, Mephibosheth. I think about people that you meet on the street that nobody else wants. Nobody wants to talk to. Nobody wants to help. Mephibosheth. I think about the son or daughter who's living a life that's disappointing to you. That's your Mephibosheth. We all have Mephibosheths. We can be kind to the undeserved. We can forgive the unforgivable. We can be Christ-like to the unworthy because we're undeserved. We were unforgivable. We were unworthy. Maybe you're here today. And maybe you've never been in a church like this, or maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. First of all, I want to say thank you for listening to me up to this point. I don't know that I would listen to me, but thank you for listening to me. But can I just share something with you? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, there's good news. There's a spot at the table for you. There's an open chair with your name on it. And Christ is inviting you today. Christ says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ says, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open the door, I will come in unto him and sup with him. May I just say to you today, he is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the way, the one way, the truth and the life. Will you accept his invitation and come to the table today? Will you consider this morning that you're a Mephibosheth? And there's nothing that you can do to earn your way to heaven. Christ shed his blood and paid for our sin so that we could have a spot at the table. Would you please accept that today? Could I ask you to do this this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to pray in just a moment.